Welcome, everybody, and hello once again to another episode of the Unified Rules of Podcast. This is episode 42. How are you doing, Edmund? Pretty good. Busy? Busy. It's cold. I don't want to move. I, I do not do well in the winter, man. I just want to stay in bed and stay warm all day, really. <laughs> Let's react to all the stuff that happened with UFC 281. Every single one of the main card fights ended in a finish. That's that's always exciting, I feel like. A good number of them were in the first round, but not all of them. And I think that's kind of what added to the excitement factor of it. And I watched some of the prelims after the fact, and that was the thing about it was that I just caused this excitement that people had, and it caused the fight card to go by kind of quickly. Yeah, I mean, I nothing went the dis. Uh, no, no, see. there were there were a couple fights that went the distance. For for instance, in the early prelims, Carolina Kovalkiewicz she defeated Silvana Gomez Juarez. That was by decision. And then in the first fight on the ESPN broadcast of the prelims, Andre Petrowski defeated Wellington Terman. But that was the only fight that... Those were the only fights. Oh, and uh, Montel Jackson defeated uh, Julio Arce, or Arce. I'm not sure exactly the pronunciation. I apologize. Which, speaking of pronunciations, I made a mistake on last week's episode when we were talking about Dan Hooker, Claudio... I have learned the correct pronunciation of his name, Claudio Poyes. It's not Poyes, so correction oh. there. Oh, my. I'm yeah. sorry. No, 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 no. I made the mistake. I think I made the mistake. I'm not I'm not calling you out it, on it. What? I rolled with the I, I I was in the same boat as you, man. Oh, well, I mean, it's not like an egregious sort of thing. I just thought, you know, whenever we get something wrong on this podcast, I like to just kind of correct ourselves on that. But yeah, it's Claudio Poyes. So other than those three fights that I mentioned, everyone had a finish. Like I said. It was interesting to watch and it i don't know as a fan i guess it's more pleasing and more exciting and yeah i mean like the, i don't know this was a thing that i had about the the broadcast i felt like because of the because the fights ended so quickly it necessitated them trying to stall for time until the yeah. time came for the next fight you know what i'm saying yeah, that's that's always a thing with watching these events lives it's I mean, they got to film, they got to fill the time. I get it. But also it's like the fighters also have to get ready in the back. And if someone gets knocked out in round one, it just, it jumps your timetable up entirely. And you gotta, you gotta give people some time to prep before they walk out to the next one. So. Right. Well, I guess like you, from that aspect, you mean in the sense that if somebody's sort of conditioning their body to like fight at six 30 or something, then it would be kind of, I don't know, it would be maybe problematic to have them start fighting earlier than that? I mean, not start them. Or it's just, there's a lot of nerves. People are, like, warming up. They're drilling last-minute things to get ready. They're getting their head in the game, you know? So it's like, if someone's like, all right, you're on at the next fight, and you're expecting it to end in three rounds, you're like, okay, I got about, like, 15 20 minutes to like hype myself up yeah and then it's a round one knockout then you're like all right you're on now it's like oh shit you know hmm. yeah i mean so, 20 so minutes turned into a five minute routine which i get it i get it man but i mean like do like, you think but time. like so do you think like as like the people who are organizing the broadcast like if that were to happen then they'll give them that 20 minutes to prepare or what have you I don't think so. I mean, they'll move things along, but you know, I understand it. Just they got to fill up time a little bit. You can't have just someone walking right in immediately after, you know. Yeah, no. Well, okay. The mat a little bit. <laughs> yeah, well, there's there's a thought that Especially I have after that Dustin Poirier fight. Yeah, exactly. There there's a thought that I have about this. Because all the fights ended in the first round, it kind of created a little bit of more of a challenge for them to fill up that broadcast time to fill up the amount of time that they have for that particular event. If they have to fill seven hours of, 
of TV time or airtime, then they can't go through these fights too quickly. And the fact that half of the fights on this entire event ended in the first round made it especially challenging. And as far as timing goes, it's a little bit more of a challenge because it's different from when we first started watching MMA because every fight gets broadcast in some way or manner. So everybody can see all the fights but before if a fight on the pay-per-view ended in round one then they would air a fight from the prelim to try to fill up that time but they can't do that because they've already aired it what are they going to do air the first prelim fight again if everyone's seen it well you know you just build up hype well yeah that's what they do now fight no no yeah that's what they do now Yeah, yeah, that's what they like do the now. <laughs> right, right. And they'll fill up that time by like doing interviews or showing promo packages or shit like that. I'm just kind of noting the differences. And I guess I'm just bringing that up because I noticed it, especially for this event. And I don't know. It was a little weird because I felt like they were killing even more time than usual. Like they, I've noticed they like to start fights on the half hour or hour mark. But they were starting those bouts even past that point. It would be like 6.10 or 6.40 and they'd be starting the fights when typically they like to start at the half hour or hour mark. I don't know. I mean, there's probably a million different things happening at the same time to keep those shows running. And it'd be something not even like broadcast related. Could be, I, I don't know. Like yeah, I mean, I don't thing. know. I don't know either. Maybe there was just something that was causing that this time around. It's just something that I couldn't help but notice watching it because I I watched from the the ESPN broadcast of the prelims and onward, and that was just something that I picked up on. I don't know. I'm a little curious as far as like how to go about like talking about this fight card because kind of like what we did in our prediction, I feel like the main event might be the one that we spend the most amount of time talking about. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I mean, th- there's there's one th- I guess there's like one thing on a on a quick side note that I wanted to mention is that we kind of did the Dan Hooker Claudio Poyas prediction at the very end just very quickly and right. it was kind of one of those things where I said I'm going to go with Claudio Poyas as the safe bet and stuff like that and it's just my instinct was telling me to pick Dan Hooker, but without doing the proper research on it and just being asked in the yeah. moment, I went with Claudio. And then I, once the fight was done, I thought to myself, damn it, of course, of course Dan was going to win that say, belt. That was a disappointing fight, and I didn't do any research either. Uh, I, I was just like, as soon as as soon as the result of the fight happened, and like knowing what I knew about the prediction or what my instinct was, I was thinking, damn, I knew I should have gone with Dan because yes, he's had some losses, but when he has lost fights, it's with the cream of the crop, uh, Dustin Poirier. But when it's with a little bit lower caliber, he tends to pull through. Yeah. I mean, I should have watched more of Claudio's fights. Mm-hmm. Going in, I just assumed, okay, up-and-coming star, has a great jiu-jitsu background. I didn't know he would try to like just butt-scoot and pull guard throughout the whole fight, man. That was a little disappointing. And the way, the way that TKO was called, ah, man, he was just out of his element it was like yeah i mean taking a striking class before almost it it was disappointing no yeah i get that i mean it was it kind of turned into one of those occasions where claudio he did have the advantage right in the first round and and no in the first round and he did he did have that submission attempt which Mm -hmm. almost made me think like okay yeah this is where it's gonna gonna go in his favor and i was right to go with claudio but then it was along the lines of once he didn't have once he didn't get that submission and i've heard some analysts or yeah i've heard some analysts say this that he just he he didn't seem like he was very comfortable on the feet and no it just caused a poor strategy on his part oh yeah no i i feel like he could have kept going but he just had no more options and 
he folded to a body kick one too many times and the ref called it so yeah yeah i mean unfortunate i i was bummed out when dan hooker won because like i said i ended up picking against him but i guess and i don't know maybe this is the transition to actually talking about the main event i kind of seeing how the main event actually turned out I was kind of like, it made me feel a little bit better about that prediction because, okay, even if I did predict Dan Hooker to win, my main event prediction was wrong. So I felt a little bit better at that moment. You're feeling good that you were wrong twice? No, 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 no. I'm saying, no, no, no. I. What I mean is that I was upset that Dan Hooker won because I picked Claudio. And... Had I picked Dan going into the main event, I would have been 4-0 on main card predictions. And I it could have been another opportunity where I got all my predictions right for the main card. But Alex ended up winning. So, oh. that, so basically, even if I said Dan Hooker was going to win, I wasn't going to be right on all of them because Alex ended up winning. So it's like, yeah, even if I got Dan as the winner right, then me being perfect wouldn't have happened. It's all right, man. You can't be perfect. Well, I mean, it's, it's, and also, Too yes, much. yes, that is a thing that I have learned about life. I've been trying to sort of absorb that more, but also another thing you have to keep in mind predicting for MMA is really hard. Oh, yeah. It's, I don't know, I don't know if it's this difficult to do in boxing, but no, at least it's, it's about uh, on it, like, it's about the same. I feel like in boxing, there's less variables. So it's kind of easier that way because you know it's it's going to be strikes. Yeah. There's no wild card moments of suddenly a takedown or like, I mean, a good example would be like the Zhang Wei Li fight. Like, hmm. would I have predicted she was going to submit Carla Esparza? No. <laughs> But that I mean, was a you must have been very pleasant surprise. Yeah, well, I was about to say you must have been happy that Zhang Wiley beat Carla. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm a big fan. I think it's just showing her wrestling skills even more. And, you know, the fact that she out wrestled someone who's known to be a wrestler, you know, is just impressive. And then the fact that she submitted her too, and yeah, I mean that was a that was a great fight. It I was, was expecting like more sprawl and brawl, but I guess you know Carla did her best to keep Zhang Weili on the ground, and then Weili just went with it and decided, all right, I guess we're gonna play the wrestling game. And I mean, but she she did really well in that regard. I mean, she she never really was put in jeopardy. And no, yeah. kind of like what we were talking about in our prediction episode, she was able to hang with Carla in the wrestling department. Remember, we weren't quite sure how that was going to go, but it was almost like, damn, she kept up with her. If not, it's like she flipped the tables. I remember what round one. Carla grabbed her kick. She caught the kick, went for a takedown. And then Whaley just sprawled and then took her back from there. Total reversal. And then the last take, the last kind of scramble they had was what? You mean in round two, like before in the round fight? Two, oh, before, before the, the fight ended. Yeah. Okay, okay. Carla shoots. Whaley sprawls, goes for like the crucifix, and then takes her neck, and it's over there. She completely just shut down whatever submission or wrestling attempt Carla threw at her which is which is interesting because kind of going into this fight we were and maybe others were thinking that okay in the, as far as the wrestling department of MMA Carla would have the advantage there but it just from what we saw whatever Zhang Guili's experience is she was more than competent and more than adept at the wrestling department and I don't know in some regards she was just I don't know, maybe maybe better than her in that regard. And I, I do I like the scrambles. Better. I do yeah. like the scrambles that happened in that fight. And it's just, there was a lot of, there's, I don't know. I just, there's a lot of skill on her part, basically. 
Yeah, I agree. And I feel like this is nothing against Carla as far as it, but I feel like she has more of a lay and pray style. I don't know. I I could be, but like to me, when I think of like Carla Sparza, she's like, she'll control, she'll take them down, she'll grind it out, but it's, she's not like a more kind of like dominating or aggressive kind of, like she'll go for the control, she'll go for the points, but she's not like super aggressive. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, That's I can kind of see what that. I, I, I see. So, I mean, if if that's your fight style, that's great. But if someone's a stronger and a better wrestler than you, you have no options against someone like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of, I feel like I might have some similar sentiment about Carla Esparza where I don't know if I can say that she goes with the lay and pray style or she's kind of more of a lay and pray fighter. It just... Either there's not that sort of killer instinct or she's a very she's very high on the totem pole, but not exactly elite of the elite of the elite. I guess that's the best yeah. or easiest way I, I can definitely, put it. I definitely like she's good. I just feel like there's a little something. Yeah, there's something missing. missing, whether it's that that finishing ability or that aggression or just that I guess that ability to defend the title, which, I mean, once again, that's not a knock on her because Carla Esparza is a two-time strawweight champion. The two times she def she had the opportunity to defend her belt was against Joanna Young-Jacek, which she she was a savage, and that was prime Joanna. And then the, this time was Zhang Weili. So those are no slouches, basically. Yeah, and again, just to even be world champ is like, that's a lot of work. Yeah, absolutely. I, absolutely. Nothing, again, nothing against her. I feel like in terms of style, again, like from our episode last time, like I did not have Carla winning. And then, yeah, she I just think, got dominated in my opinion. I, I think it also kind of has a little something to do with aggression. As in... I'm not sure how aggressive Carla's game is overall. And I don't know, maybe I'm saying that because of the lack of finishes on her part, but you know, getting a finish isn't everything. But also when it comes to aggression, thinking about how the the last fight with Rose went, I just I I knew going into it why Wiley was not gonna be as passive as Rose was. Yeah. <laughs> Cause, cause I'm looking at, cause like for instance, I'm looking at Carla's record right now, and she has 11 wins by decision of her 19 or 20 wins. So most of her wins are by decision. So I guess that's where the whole aggression or finishing ability comes in for me. But yeah, but I mean, again, it depends how you won the fight by decision. You know? Right, right, and that's why that's why I'm putting an asterisk there, saying that it's yeah. not everything, and it's not like I don't know. It, it's I don't want to I don't want to like... judge a fighter's ability based on that, but I don't know. It kind of like seeps in a little bit with Carla right. Esparza, in my but... opinion. It's almost like the GSP haters. Right, you know? right. Which is why like, I put the asterisks because of GSP. Right. Whereas like, okay, he's been accused of having a lay and pray style because, you know, he, again, he generally likes to wrestle and just control and just grind his way to victory that way. You know, in, in my opinion, though, I, I think GSP is, he does have that aggression just because, you know, at the time in his division, he was just fighting a bunch of monsters. And, yeah, and there would you know, be times where he did, in fact, try to finish those yeah. fights. Like, you had to turn the heat up. You had to turn the pace up in order to keep up with people like... John Fitch, uh, yeah, John Fitch BJ Penn. Uh, I don't know. BJ Penn wouldn't be a good example of that. <laughs> Tiago Alves. Yes. Dan Hardy. Dan uh, Hardy, yes. Josh Koscheck. Jake Shields. I don't know. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but yeah, I mean, again, 
Dad or Eddie are a great list of names of like, you know, people who are just Oh, dude, hell yeah. Hell yeah. At the time, you know. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, Jake Shields, he was riding a 15 fight win streak going into that and the it wasn't as epic or competitive as a fight as as a fan I would have hoped it was, but that was a tough 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 challenge. And then even after that just fighting the likes of Carlos Condit, Nick Diaz, the Hendricks ones a little whatever it's kind of like eh. yeah <laughs> but but yeah that 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 makes sense and and i don't know i knew you were going to bring up the gsp comparison just because that's what i was thinking when i'm making the carla claim and i guess you know i don't have that opinion of gsp just because i know the type of skill right. and how he would dominate these fights maybe i'm saying this because yes i have seen some of I have seen some of Carla's fights, but I'm not, I guess, I haven't done a lot of extensive research on her fighting style or assessed how those fights that she won by decision went, where in the case of GSP, I followed him very closely. I've seen his fights over and over and over again. So I will admit maybe there's that lack of knowledge with Carla, but yeah. I also think partially women's mma is growing now and the competition is starting to get tougher and tougher and you gotta evolve your game you gotta up your game as like the competition gets fiercer and i guess to me the question is it's like is carla adapting fast enough or not you know <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that is that is that is an interesting point you're bringing up as far as the competition part, just because that is something that I'm kind of thinking about, just not just with women's MMA, but just mixed martial arts in general. It's really hard to defend a title so many times in a row, like when Anderson Silva, George St. Pierre or Demetrius Johnson did. And as a little bit of a segue, we keep teasing this, just the fact that even with Israel Adesanya, he defended his belt five times. But to get past that mark, it's really hard because fighters are so freaking good now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's just, and I guess when, when you're, when everyone is at such a high level and so good, it's hard to kind of like exceed at that, I guess, that long dominant five year title reign that we're, we've seen in the past. Well, it's a lot of like, you know, mentally, you got to like train yourself to handle the pressure physically. You just got to always be in top shape. And then like strategy wise, you got to just be ready for like anything because everybody's got your number. Every, you're, you're yeah. like, everybody, you're, you're like everyone's target. So it's like, everyone, well, there's everyone's going to study your game down to like the most minute of details and. You just got to be ready to like keep it up or change it or keep, keep yeah. stay competitive. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why the title reigns of those guys I mentioned, along with John Jones, there's a reason why those are the exception as opposed to the norm. There's a reason why we don't see those very often. But the one thing, I guess, the one thing that I will say about about Wiley is that. It was kind of one of those things when she got the finish or when she actually won the fight, I was just like, yeah, I knew she was going to win. It's just just the way the fight was going and the control she had. That's kind of what I was thinking. Kind of like I felt I felt so validated at that point because <laughs> it was just like I ha I felt very confident about it. It came to fruition. And it was like that was one of those fights where I was like, yeah, I knew you were going to win. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, what? Yeah, I, I, I think I predicted, like, a finish, a KO or a TKO, but I'll take a submission. That's, like I said earlier, it was a very pleasant surprise. I was a little curious as far as how they were going to, how they were going to document that submission finish or what they were going to rule it as, because it was a rear naked choke, but it was from a crucifix position. So I didn't know if they were going to say, like, a modified rear naked choke or something like that. I don't think they never say, like, modified. It's like, you know, a triangle is a triangle, even if you had a weird angle on it. An arm bar is an arm bar. 
I don't know. I, don't, I, feel, I, like, don't feel like I, the UFC ever says any like weird. Well, no, but like on people's records, like Sure Dog or Tapology or something like that. Like for instance, let's let's look up Amanda Nunes when she defeated uh, Megan Anderson. Submission, reverse triangle armbar. That's on Sure Dog. And then if we go to Tapology, they have inverted triangle armbar. So maybe they don't do it on the UFC broadcasts, but. They do I it mean, on these. But I've never, I, like a rear naked choke is a rear naked choke. I've never, even if you do get it from a different position, you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. At least I've never, I've never heard of people like saying strictly like, oh, you have to have your hooks in <laughs> on the, like, you know, I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, I, me it it's was like semantics. I'm just like, you got the choke. You got the choke. Yeah. I mean, I suppose that's what they did in this situation, but for other times they have modified it or they changed it up. So I don't know. It was just one of those things where I thought because it's a little different, are they going to note it as such or just not knowing ultimately what it was going to be five seconds after the fight ended? It's like, how are they going to document it? <laughs> yeah. All right. So, I mean, that was kind of all I had to say about that. Just... Zhang's grappling was very was very good, and I was impressed with what she was able to do, how she was able to implement that in her victory against Carla. And then that leads into the, I mean, maybe we'll talk about Dustin or some of the other you know main card fights, but I think we've we've delayed it enough. Alex versus Izzy. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I guess it went the way we predicted in terms of if Alex Pereira is going to get his victory like the like the last minute nature of that basically i mean yeah like I, I, like i said if alex is going to win it would be towards the end he'll find the opening and he'll knock israel out which honestly very impressive on his part to like find the willpower and the heart to push through when everybody's like tired and you're behind on points, he just found whatever was left inside him to like get the job done, which is well, here's scary. here. I mean, here's I think there's a combination of factors in play as far as how that happened. One is that he had the mental wherewithal to do it, or he had the mental fortitude to basically not give up going into that fifth round. He has the skill, the ability because he has, we talked about this in our prediction episode, he has that one punch knockout ability, because when you look at his MMA record, now it's like, you look at his MMA record, he has a, like an 80, 85% knockout ratio of all his wins. So he has that ability, and then partially, I don't know, in my opinion, maybe I'm way off, part of that's also due to the advice his corner was giving him in between round four and five basically they they did something along the lines of it wasn't so like there was some technique i think but a lot of it was very pep talk-esque saying they're trying to will alex Pereira to win this fight and at one point they're saying you have to knock him out you have to do that and yeah i mean and and here's the thing here's the thing before Kamaru Usman and Leon Edwards fought each other the second time, I used to think that wasn't very good advice to give or just you need to give more tech technical advice as opposed to saying, hey, come on, you can do it and all that stuff. But the thing is, what? I I mean, I disagree with that. I, I feel like at that point when you're so tired, it's like, there's nothing technical more you can like your body's not going to respond the way you want it to you know in terms of like technical advice or whatever and i think his his corner knew it was like he wasn't gonna try to like outslip the slippery adesanya you know like you gotta go in there and just pressure him until you wear him down and catch him, which is like, you know, that's what I said last, like, right. And, and Adesanya is so slippery. There's no technique that's going to work. You have to just push him, push him, push him, push him, push him 
until you get that one opening, which that's what happened. He got that one opening where his right hand went in and then that set him up for that perfect left hook. And then Adesanya was so hurt. Boom. Every single punch after that he landed was clean. Like, oh my God. It, it's so crazy when that finishing sequence was happening because when Alex landed some shots that rocked Izzy, for me, I saw that and I went through a process of like, oh, these punches, these strikes, they're landing on Izzy. He's in trouble. And then I was thinking, can Alex actually do it? Can this actually happen? And then when I saw Adesanya being even more wobbly, I was just thinking, oh man, this is one of those moments in mixed martial arts where it's just the fall of a king or queen or uh, the, the, the demise of a long-standing champion. We've never seen them like this before. And then when it finally ended, I was... It was weird because I was shocked to an extent, but not extremely shocked because I think we talked about how this Alex had the ability to knock him out. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and to kind of, to kind of go back on my point from earlier, talking about the, the rematch between Kamaru and Leon Edwards, because of that fight, that made me think differently about the pep talk esque advice or just trying to will him into that. And even during the fifth round, John Anik, he referenced Kamaru Usman and Leon Edwards. So basically, basically I had that in the back of my mind as far as something like that could happen in this fight too. Yeah. It, I mean... it, it, never, it never escaped me. I was just thinking... After seeing that, I'm like, okay, something like this can happen. It can and will, and jeez, it's it's almost like straight out of a movie in some. Oh yeah, it totally is. Ways, you know, like because because if you and I know we we never got around to doing a two seventy eight reaction, but if you were to rewatch that Leon Edwards Kamaru Usman fight, the the fourth round ends, they go to their corner and. Leon's coaches, they're saying to them, come on, son, stop feeling sorry for yourself. All this other shit. And for me, I was watching that and I was just thinking, okay, here we go. This just trying this desperate attempt to, to willpower him into that and just, oh, hey, come on, you can do it. And then, I don't know, it's weird because I guess doing this recording right now, it's sort of making me think maybe that can actually work given the person you're talking to the type of person they are and the circumstances you're in yeah and, i mean and, dude I, I i like trained fitness class but it's the same thing you know it's like if we have a crossfit workout where you got to do like a million burpees and no one's gonna do that unless they're being pushed some people respond better to like that encouraging like yeah you can do it thing I know some clients I, I have who like respond better with like a little more aggressive, like, come on, let's go, let's go. Like almost like a drill sergeant. So it's like, I, I, I feel like a lot of these, a lot of the coaches, like if they're a good coach, they know how to motivate their athlete. They know what, what their athlete responds to and they know what to say or what to do in that heat of the moment to get them to perform and push them to that next level. And you know what? This is one of the things that I really like about this podcast is because your experience as a trainer gives insight into what these athletes go through or just some of the, the, the workings of fighter strategies. And that's something I really enjoy about our conversations and our dynamic. And I guess what I'll say, that way of thinking of, okay, you need to give technical advice, basically because i've seen in some I, i've seen some fights where for instance they'll go to their corner and their trainer will be like oh if he takes you down you have to get up it's like okay how or when they're saying come on you can do it and then it's like well how you know like how am i gonna get to the goal of winning and i uh, just really quick before you give your response i will admit that part of this way of thinking is influenced by when i started as an MMA fan hearing Joe Rogan's commentary and basically he would criticize whenever he would hear corners giving that type of advice. 
So part of it is that. I mean, I think it depends. Having technical advice, like, for example, I'm like, all right, Eric, when he takes you down, you got to sprawl, go take his back, go for a crucifix, lock in that choke. And if that doesn't work, go in for the hammer fist to his face until like he covers up, then transition to like, no, that's, that's too much. No one's going to pull that off. You know what I mean? But I mean, but like the thing is, is that, okay, here's the example I can think of. When Habib Nurmagomedov fought Abel Trujillo, I really didn't think I was going to bring this up or I couldn't have expected that. But then again, this is how these recordings go and conversations go sometimes. He continuously took him down in that fight just over and over again. And it reached a point where Abel's cornermen, they were kind of doing the same thing, just trying to will him in and give him a motivational talk as opposed to trying to give him actual advice. But how are you going to like out technique Khabib? I mean, that's so the much, thing. Like, that's the thing that the cornermen and like the trainers are supposed to figure out. No, I feel like that should have been done in the training camp. And if they're not prepared, you know, if your athlete's not prepared, giving him a list of techniques to do during that heat of the moment isn't going to work. You know? But but like to just say, okay, hey, come on. And or for instance, and oh, man, I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of weird for me to bring up this example, just given what happened. Anthony Johnson, he passed away. He was 38. See, like, I, I just feel I'm, I'm kind of taken aback because I was about to make a point about it. But then I'm just like, oh, man, like, I don't I don't know, man. I don't know if I want to speak Anthony speak of Anthony Johnson in that manner just because he did pass away and just it's unfortunate. And I don't know. I guess it kind of struck me just because I mentioned him in our last episode. And like I said, he is responsible for one of my favorite moments as a fan of mixed martial arts and it i don't know it's just it's it's kind of it's kind of it's it, i just found it very coincidental that i mentioned him and then that news happened the day after ufc 281 30. yeah yeah I, I it was a young guy too 38 you know I mean, I will say that Anthony Johnson, he was one of those guys. He's one of the few guys in mixed martial arts where when I watched him, that was a guy who had dynamite in his hands. He, he, yeah. like, it's sort of along the lines of a Francis Ngannou or Johnny Hendricks, where if he landed on you, that was it. And I heard Ariel Helwani on the MMA hour talk about how basically that span that he went between the first Daniel Cormier fight and the second Daniel Cormier fight, that may have been his best streak. And just overall that 2012 to 2017 timeframe that he had was his best streak. And just, that was when he was on top of the world. And if you remember when he fought Glover Teixeira, that was, that's the moment I'm talking about Edmonds. Like as far as being one of my favorite moments as a fan. Oh yeah. Yeah, so rest in peace, Anthony Rumble Johnson. Yeah, I mean, that's sad. Non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Jeez. He was a fun guy to watch at times and just was an interesting character. I guess to kind of get back on track with the point that I was going to make, and this is with all due respect to Anthony Johnson, the example I was going to bring up as far as pep talk and all that stuff, when he fought Daniel Cormier the first time, it was kind of one of those things where his corner at some point was telling him, don't give up. And it's kind of one of those things where I'm not sure if that's the thing to hear when you're in a fight is don't it give up. It might be. I say that sometimes to like my people when they're like just midway through the workout they just stop and i'm like yo keep going like what else am i supposed to say like hey do your push-ups like this more like no, well but but like, like when you're fighting another person and they're kind of overwhelming you or their technique is overwhelming yours then 
wouldn't there be some type of i think it depends but it's like it's the ufc it's not like secret kung fu techniques you know, <laughs> it's like you go in there knowing what you know and it's like if you don't know whatever technique the rest of it is just hearts and guts you yeah just gotta... but We've seen like lesser technical fighters come out on top just pure through like pure guts alone. You know, sometimes, yeah, sometimes that's that's all you need if you got nothing else. And I feel like sometimes fighters don't have anything else in their toolbox, and that's the only thing they can do is just you need your coach to just tell you, hey, you need to keep going sometimes. You know, it's. I can yeah I mean I I get what you're I get what you're saying I mean I do like this back and forth that we're having I mean it does provide a little bit of it it does it does make me think about it differently I just I don't know I'm not sure exactly what to say about it or what to do with that info I guess it's just I don't know maybe I'm just thinking from my perspective is that if you're telling me Hey, I need you to do so and so. It's like, well, how can I do that? Yeah, I but it's like you know, it, it's different than you know, I you've done jujitsu. It's different than in the middle of like just rolling in class. Yeah, and then your coach is like, hey, do this because that's you're learning in class. You're learning at that time. You don't have time to learn or troubleshoot in a fight. It's like yeah, or or I will, you, I, I, I will I I will do you know. Yeah, I will add one more thing. There's, you know, you don't have time to do those in fights, but you also don't have the ability to try out things you've never done before in a fight. Yeah. So, like, probably not the best time. Yeah. So that's why it's like, unless they drilled for specific situations like this, like, I hear like boxing coaches or like sometimes an MA, they, they'll call out specific combinations. And the only reason I would believe they would even say stuff like that is because they drilled it before. They okay. drilled it, so it's like they know. It's like, all right, if they roll under my jab, I'm going with the two, three, and then finish with an uppercut there. Like, you're not gonna pull that off if you haven't drilled it for hours and hours and hours during fight camp. You know, right? And and some of that comes into play with with a with different skill levels with MMA fighters where for instance I'm talking about Habib versus Abel Trujillo Abel is not going to have the type of wrestling acumen that Habib has because right. he's been doing it for so many years it's just that exactly there's so, a certain gap that will never be filled yeah and you if you can't fill that gap with technique especially since you can't suddenly learn technique in the middle of the fight you just gotta you gotta somehow tell your fighter to like dig deeper and whatever whatever they got left in the gas tank and then just put it all it's just guts and hearts at that point yeah i mean so yeah i mean obviously it depends i get it it is it, it's a meme now if you're getting grounded pounded and then like your coach is like get up get up you know <laughs> there's many a tiktoks where people are like yeah, don't you think I'm trying? Like, yes, I do. Yeah, and it. I suppose that's where my criticism comes in. But also, like, in my experience, too, like, I've been on, like, bottom positions in jiu-jitsu, and sometimes my coach is just like, you got to get up right now. And sometimes you don't know. It's like, oh, yeah, I am in position to just stand right up right here. I'm not saying that's, like, super valid, but it's like, if your coach is saying that, assuming assuming he's a good coach right they yeah. have an outside perspective which you may not see because you're just freaking out in the moment right there right i mean that's the whole point that's that's yeah. the point so of that i don't even really fault the just get up advice sometimes because sometimes as a fighter and when you're in like the thick of it it's like maybe you don't have that great of an awareness of what's really happening yeah. And and perhaps maybe it is easier to get up than you think it is. Exactly. I'm sure you've been in like certain situations like that. You know, especially as a white belt, there's like oh yeah, tons of positions in jujitsu where if you're just new, you just don't know. Like oh, I could like easily get out of it by doing this, this or this, right? But again, it's like when you're in the thick of it, no one can tell you like 
grab the arm, put it. And I think they specifically don't allow that too, you know, like, yeah, but it's I'm, like, you, you, no one's going to like give you a step-by-step, -step, like wiki, how walk through in the middle <laughs> of a fight, especially when like the other team probably has someone who can speak your language and then shout back counter instructions you know like yeah that is yeah uh, that is a that little point, bit of a thing you should just like hook up fighters to like well i mean PS4 like it's not i guess that's not a, i guess that's the stuff like that's not as much of an issue when they're act there's actually a crowd because in the, in the early days of the pandemic they would hear what the announcers were saying and they're just like hey do what they're saying yeah but also it's like plus yeah with the crowd i mean i've only been to like live shows where there wasn't a crowd be it small bellator events or small local fighting events it's like everybody can hear what you're saying like the you know with small crowds so it's like do you really want to let the other side know what you're you're gonna have them do exactly yeah true i mean yeah i mean there's probably more that i could say about this kind of stuff but i figure we should just kind of focus a little bit more on the 281 main event and yeah, sure. yeah and i guess i guess i don't know one of the things i just i guess i wonder is that how alex was able to defeat adesanya because going into that fifth round adesanya was up on the scorecards and then i mean it seemed like adesanya was doing something well something effective in the fight and i i don't know if it's as simple as okay alex was able to land that shot or just because i, I re-watched the fight before we started recording alex had some success even before that finish happened i think he kept the pressure on especially on that last round he just he didn't even take a step back i also think there's that one part where Adesanya kicked him and then he rolled back. Oh, dude, at that moment, so at, at that, clearly, at that, yeah, at that moment, I thought he broke his shin. I mean, it, it must have hurt like hell because the way so. he kicked it and then he fell like in real time. I'm thinking, oh no, because I was thinking of the, just the the shin breaking, and I was just thinking, damn, this would be such a shame if this fight ended that way because it would be, especially if Adesanya was up and it were to end like that. It's like, god damn it, that's 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 inconclusive and just. I just... mean, that's one way to relive Anderson Silva's legacy, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, but. Anyways, yeah. So it's like Adesanya was tired. He was hurt. I just think the fight, the damage from the previous rounds added up to affect him mm -hmm. to a point where finally he had some holes in his game that Alex was able to take advantage of. So that's what I think. Like It was just a long, drawn-out war. And... You know, the longer the fight went, the more it went to Alex's favor because he was doing a lot of damage to Adesanya. Like, whatever yeah. he hit him with, it had to have hurt a lot. The leg kicks, checking his kicks, you know, whatever shots he threw at Adesanya that didn't slip by or slip through, like, whatever he could land on him must have made enough of an impact to just slowly wear him down. Yeah. So okay. So you kind of think that it's sort of the the long. He he basically he was playing not playing the waiting game, but he was playing the long game. I'm gonna do damage, do damage, do damage, and then by the time round five rolled around, it's like okay, there's no other round after this. Gotta go for it. Yeah, I think so. But okay. I, not to say that he was taking it slow throughout the whole fight. I think he knew. His only chance of beating him was knocking him out again. He was going for the knockout every time he tried to hit him, for sure. Yeah. Or he was trying to set it up. But I think came down to like the fifth round. All the damage added up on Adesanya. Like he couldn't even kick him without rolling back. That means Adesanya probably couldn't move too well. And then... Okay. He knew like Adesanya was going to play the clinch game with him if he got too reckless with the striking. So 
I think he picked his shot. He found that right hand, followed it up with that hard left hook. Yep. You know, as we were saying. Yep. And once that left hook landed, he was wide open. And it was like every shot was so clean and so hard. Like, yeah, it was over. It was over by then. So. so there's a few there's a few responses that I have to everything that you're saying. One is that that is something that you notice or that is something that one can notice when watching that fight is just how much Alex Pereira moves forward, pressures forward. I think it's safe to say that's part of his strategy. That's part of what makes him so successful. So there's that. And then also just there's the fact of his kickboxing is really is at a high level and I don't know if part of it part of it kind of makes me wonder because we thought Izzy had the more MMA experience and he did and what well yes he did but Alex beat him with kickboxing right right and so I, I mean there there was I a... mean we touched we touched on this last time I think too where it's like on paper Alex is the pressure fighter so mm -hmm. on paper the pressure fighter generally has an advantage over the outside point boxing or like the outside fighter like Izzy is you know just because they're gonna keep marching forward and they're gonna close the gap and once they close the gap your long arms and you know long legs don't have much of an advantage so yeah i mean yeah i mean yeah and then, and then it's like, just on paper in a kickboxing fight it makes sense why alex Pereira would win so you know? so basically and i think our 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 thing was like okay this is a totally different sport there is a ground element to it there is more of a clinching wrestling element to it and you know what I think Izzy did a great job in the clinch to like help mitigate the damage that Alex was going to do to him. So I just so, think over time it wore him down. So I guess here's the question that I have. Would it be fair to say that Alex had the most success in close range or in the clinch and up against the fence? I wouldn't say that until the last round. Okay. Because that's what Izzy was trying what, to do. What, to all three of those things? Or all of the things yeah, that I said? Because if you watch it, he was clinching him. and He's tying him up just to, like, stop him from coming forward and hitting him more. Yeah. I, I think Alex wanted to be in that mid-range where his punches could find their place and he get a lot of power there. Because you know he could hit harder than Adesanya could like hit back and he has a great chin you know even though I think like first round he looked a little so it kind of leads the question of like okay is Alex a better combat sports athlete than Izzy or is it just a situation where Alex may just have Izzy's number because when you think about it, if they were to have an, a rematch, which that's kind of like the rumor, I mean, from what we've been seeing with Adesanya, he can be winning the entire time against Pajera, but then all Pajera needs is one shot towards the end, and he wins the fight. How do we know that wouldn't happen in the rematch? I think... Here's my thing. I think maybe... Okay, Izzy is probably a better MMA fighter. But I think Alex, in terms of kickboxing, his style is going to be Izzy more often, specifically. Because he's more of a pressure fighter. He's more of a pressure kickboxer. I think the question is, if you went up against someone who's like an elite level wrestler, would Alex Pereira perform the same? I don't know. Because... Which is which is interesting because one of the thoughts that I had about Pajera is the fact that one could say that okay, obviously Alex is more proficient with striking. That's his that's his ace in the hole. 
But then again, to just be all like, hey, all I have to do is take Alex Pajera down and the fight is mine, it's not that simple. And Yeah, and I and, think and, and, and the here, longer you wait for that to happen, like in terms of like his career, the farther he goes in his career, the better he's going to get at defending takedowns and submissions. You know. Well, here are the reasons why I say that. And yes, Edmund, I'll acknowledge what you said is that as he spends more time in MMA, he's going to get better at it. But here are the reasons why I'm saying it. We talked about it in our episode where everyone is at a level where they could have one or two of the other components of MMA be at like a high level. And then their ace in the hole, their base is exceptionally high. And that's what they rely on, where it's just like, okay, Pajera's ground, for instance, Pajera. Alex's ground game is not as elite as his striking, but it's still pretty damn high. So there's that aspect of what MMA fighters are in today's industry or in today's sport. But also it's due to the fact that he trains with Glover Teixeira, who's a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And he recently got his brown belt. So... Alex has some competency there too. Yeah, I mean, it hasn't been tested yet, so we'll have to see. Right. I mean, but, I'm not. I'm not counting him out for anything. My point is, we just he hasn't been tested in that realm of the ground game, the wrestling game, in his career yet. You know, he could be a very competent wrestler. I mean. We just don't know. So I guess it's like if anyone has like a game plan to try to like take him out, that'd probably be like the first thing you try because considering he just knocked out one of the top strikers in the UFC, like I don't want to go toe to toe with that guy. You know what I mean? Right, right. But and you know, here's what here's the point that I'm trying to get at. Yes, it hasn't been tested. So if there was a okay so this is the only guy i can think of let's say hamzat shemaev if because he he has fought at middleweight and he has really good wrestling and all that stuff if alex were to fight somebody like hamzat with the kind of grappling credentials he has maybe it would be difficult all i'm saying is that you can't go in with that simple-minded mentality of hey all i have to do is just take him down and he's gonna be a fish out of water or well, yeah, of a, course, a turtle on know. his back. It's it like, for, and, and like, here's the comparison I'll use where, for instance, back in the day, in the early days of MMA, when fighters, they were kind of more specialists. And it was one of those things where if you took like, for instance, and once again, this is with all due respect to Kevin Randleman, it was just the era that he was a part of. That was the kind of guy where you were thinking, okay, all I have to do is get Kevin Randleman on his back and then the fight is mine. You can't apply that with today's modern-day mixed martial artist. No, of course not. I mean, if you're walking in with that kind of mindset, yeah, you're you're definitely going to lose. I mean, yeah. And 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 the I reason don't think I don't think anyone walks in with a game plan like that. Well, know, I mean, like... I I can't say for certain if anyone has that kind of game plan, but I guess saying all this stuff, it's it kind of relates to Israel Adesanya because this is something that I was thinking of too. You could apply that same strategy with him where after he fought Jan Blahovic, people are thinking, "Oh, the the wrestling, the takedowns, that's his weakness." But it's not that simple and Izzy has some competency there and I I don't know if like I, I I like here's the thing when he was fighting Marvin Vittori I don't know if Marvin was thinking yeah I can take advantage of takedowns and and my wrestling but it just seems like with guys like that it's not that easy to do and if you think with that kind of like simple if you think of it that simply, then you're setting yourself up for failure. Of course. Honestly, I don't think anybody in this age of MMA could get this far in the game with such a naive mindset. Mm -hmm. you know? And 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 I will acknowledge. No way. Yeah, and there's no way. And and here's the thing, Edmund. I will acknowledge that maybe just like a fan mindset. I don't know if fighters are thinking that. 
if they are, then that's not a good thing to have. But I guess like I can only speak from like a fan perspective or for anyone who's listening to this podcast to give them an idea that Alex may be a handful for anyone in the division. He's very capable of that. And if he rounds out his game, then he's going to be a he's going to be a tough guy to beat. I mean, considering he's knocked out most of his opponents, if not all, <laughs> in the UFC. Yep. I just feel like, look, don't be the toxic fan if you're listening and just be like, well, just put Adesanya on his back and you can choke him out or just take down Alex Pereira. And once he's on the ground, he can't do anything. Like, that would be very incredibly naive of you, of a fan. To kind of think that way. Here's what I would say. In general, but yeah, here's like here's what I would say. If, for instance, Alex or Izzy have deficiencies with takedowns or grappling, if you want to utilize that disadvantage and apply it in a smart way, then yes, you can do it. But if you if you don't use that in a wise way, if you don't have a good strategy behind implementing the weaknesses your opponent may have, then it's not going to go well for you. And I, I I acknowledge that's not like revelatory information or what have you, but it's just, I think it's something worth trying to get out there to the, the listeners and fans and everything. You're telling me that fighting is harder than it looks? No, I'm not telling you that. <laughs> no, I know. I know, man. I'm just making a joke. But yeah, yes, I mean, if course. anything... Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's not easy, folks. And again, I teach boxing to normal people in a fitness gym. And even in a fitness context, a lot of normal people are just really surprised at how hard the sport is. And we're just doing with just the punching part. Yeah. And no, I'm not just only training like out of shape soccer moms. I get some former athletes people who have done crossfit like for most of their life there's some really athletic people that i train that are still like holy crap this is a lot harder than i thought it would be so yeah, yeah i mean and and here's and i guess here's my point and what i'm trying to get at like cuz i'm kind of thinking about this in real time here's the point that i was trying to get across for instance when blahovic beat adesanya if it was just a matter of, hey, I just need to take him down and that's it, then when Marvin Vittori fought him next in their middleweight title fight, then he would have had the same success that Jan did, but he didn't. So that's why there's nuances there. No, I mean, there's a lot more going on than just that. Just like Jan Blahovic was much bigger, had a lot more experience fighting bigger people, like... Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of factors to this sport. It's yeah. not always just technique. It's all not always just about size. It's it's a lot of things. Now, I guess the thing that the only other thing I would say is that that stoppage that happened in the fifth round was that too early. No. <laughs> okay, because I I don't know. Like I've seen some talks about that. Like, okay, did the ref stop it too soon? And oh my gosh, maybe for me, I kind of thought it was a little early but i mean i'm not like it's not particularly egregious or i guess it is one of those yeah. things where for the fighter's safety it was a good time to stop it you know you don't want them to take too much damage but right i couldn't help but think just a little bit of like uh was it a little soon i don't he clearly could not defend himself the ref mm -hmm. let it go on, you know, so I'm like, I think he stopped it at the right time when Adesanya clearly couldn't clinch, couldn't put his hands up. He was resting on the fence. He's eaten like five shots, hard shots from Alex Pereira in a row. What so, else do you do? I, I mean, do like, want, I don't really know. Want to see Adesanya knocked out cold on the floor and then stop it. He would have eaten like 15 more punches at that point full power from Alex because they're both just stubborn. Like, I mean, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, I mean, I guess maybe people are thinking that because Adesanya was still standing. I don't know. He was clearly not in a position where he can defend himself. Mm-hmm, okay. I mean, if you want a rematch, you stop it early. If you want Adesanya to be a vegetable, yeah, let it keep going, I guess. You know, doing doing this episode, it made me think that if they were, in fact, to go the route of an immediate rematch... I feel like we would have to do an episode talking about that because just kind of talking yeah. about kind of breaking down their first MMA bout a little bit more and just kind of like seeing, okay, what can happen in this one? I think it's going to happen just because... The business model the UFC is these yeah, days? They got to have the rematch, especially for someone like Adesanya. Like, I feel like defending his belt for so he's earned the right to rematch should he ever lose that belt right so yeah unless, yeah i mean it's a combination yeah. of like the the business model and just the amount of title defenses i don't know if like yeah i mean it's just it's just how it is and i i, I can't complain if there's an immediate rematch but yeah that was uh ufc 281 ultimately it was a very exciting event dustin poirier and Michael Chandler, they had an exciting fight. And Chris Gutierrez and Frankie Edgar, that basically went the way we expected. I mean, I don't know about the way I, I expected, but yeah. Well, in this, uh, okay. Well, expect in the sense that Chris was going to win. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 All right, cool. You know, it's funny because we talk a lot about modern MMA with our, with our podcast, even though the goal of it is to try to let people know about its past. It's just, I don't know. That's the way it kind of has unfolded a little bit. And I guess, given the nature of our episodes lately, that's part of the reason why I throw in those little nuggets of information in there. No, it's good. It's good for these Gen Z listeners. If you have any, <laughs> well, in any event, hopefully you guys enjoyed UFC 281 if you did let us know what you thought about the card you can let us know on instagram at unified rules podcast you can let us know on twitter at unified rules po1 or you can email this podcast the email address is unified rules podcast at gmail.com stay safe everybody take care <laughs>